Hi there, welcome to season two of the Sales for Founders podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols, and every Wednesday I sit down with successful founders and sales and marketing experts to bring you actionable advice on how to learn sales, find your first customers, and grow a profitable business. Today's episode is an interview with a successful founder, Andrew Askins. Andrew is the co-founder and CEO of Crit, a technical agency that helps non-technical founders turn their ideas into functioning products. In what's going to be a new format for the show, Andrew is going to walk us through his sales journey, from his failed startup attempt to a successful digital agency, which is now doing well over $50,000 in monthly revenue. If you've ever considered doing some consulting, freelancing, or maybe even setting up an agency of your own, then this episode is going to be packed with great advice. First though, I do want to give you a quick update on the Sales for Founders course. Right now, I'm putting together the final touches to the content with my early access participants, and the launch will be in late November. So if you're thinking of signing up and learning enough sales to go from 0 to 10k in monthly revenue, then make sure you sign up to get an early bird discount over at salesforfounders.com. Anyway, enough of that. Let's dive into today's conversation. Andrew, it is great to have you here. Why don't you kick us off with a bit of background information on who you are and what you're up to? Hey, Louie, I'm excited to be here. Um, so my name is Andrew Askins, and I'm the CEO and one of the founders of Crit. Crit is the software agency for non-technical founders. So we work with super early stage startups, usually people who have a prototype or maybe a no-code product of some sort, um, but they're looking to build their first um, real MVP, minimum lovable product, uh, what have you. Um, we work mostly with people who are experts in their field. So they've maybe started a small business in the past um, and have learned a lot about a niche industry. Um, and now they want to build a product, uh, software product for that industry. So um, they come to us and we help them figure out what it is they need to build and then help them build it and support it until they're big enough to warrant bringing on their own team. And then at that point, we can help them sort of vet their first couple of hires as well. Um, so yeah, we're really focused on that sort of non-technical experts in their field kind of niche. Um, people who are doing mostly B2B stuff, um, occasionally we'll do, do some other things, but that's really the kind of stuff that we love doing. Awesome, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about the kind of stuff that you do with customers and clients nowadays a bit later in the show, but maybe to kick us off, you can give me an idea of how you got into Crit in the first place. Yeah, so um, Crit has a little bit of an unconventional journey for an agency. Um, so we started Crit as a product company. So we built a software products for our own called Inc. Um, Inc was a contract tool for freelancers. And we actually started as part of an accelerator program in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, so I was working for another software company at the time. Um, I was in college interning basically and got to know um, the people who were starting this accelerator program. And because it was Columbia, South Carolina, they didn't have very many technical founders applying. Most of the teams that they had already accepted were non-technical and they knew that me and a friend of mine were, were sort of messing around with some stuff on the side, wanted to build some things um, of our own. And so they kind of approached us and were like, hey, we know you're sort of thinking about applying. We really think you should. We'd love to have like sort of a technical team. And so 
just by nature of being in the right place at the right time and being in Columbia, South Carolina, where there weren't a whole lot of people building tech startups, um, I got this opportunity to go through this accelerator program. Um, and they basically gave us, uh, it was kind of like a, you know, they were trying to be a Y Combinator type program. Um, and so they gave us a little bit of capital, uh, $16,000, um, and then gave us, you know, a few months of office space and mentorship and some different things to try to help us get up and on our feet. And so we spent the first year and a half that we were a company building that product, launched on Product Hunt, got to number two that day, um, got a couple thousand free users, um, but quickly realized that we were better at the building than the selling, um, which we'll probably talk about in a little bit. Um, I've had a sales journey for sure. Um, and um, so we had started doing some consulting on the side to pay the bills. Um, a couple of people liked the design of our product and approached us about helping with some stuff that they were working on. And so about a year and a half in, our product wasn't really working. We were feeling kind of burnt out. Um, we'd been paying ourselves like 500 bucks a month for a year and a half. Um, it all graduated at this point and we're just wanted to do something a little bit different. Wanted, um, to do something where we could make a little money to be perfectly honest. Um, and so we decided to go all in on consulting and slowly over time we've refined our positioning and, and focus more and more on that non-technical founder niche. Um, and so that's, that's really what we do now. Right. Okay. Can you maybe give the listeners some kind of some numbers in terms of, you know, what are the rough dates and, and you know, what's what, What's the size of, of, of crit maybe in terms of team? And I don't know if you share revenue numbers, but I'm sure you can give kind of a rough uh, ballpark figure of, of, of where you are, just so they can understand kind of the, the scope of, of crit now and uh, maybe how it's developed over the last couple of, I don't know, months, years, decades. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we do share revenue numbers. We're um, kind of unusual as an agency in that sense. So I was, I've always been super inspired by companies like Buffer, um, and bare metrics and some of these companies that just like now there's the whole indie hackers movement. Um, these companies who share their revenue from the start, um, those companies really inspired me to get into tech and like, um, sort of taught me about the bootstrap software movement, which I'm super passionate about now. Um, and so a year and a half ago or so we decided to open up our books, um, and, and start sharing our numbers as well. Um, so crit's been around for five years now. Um, I turned five in April of this year, uh, so five and a half really. Um, for the first year and a half, like I mentioned, we were working on products. So I, I would say for three and a half, four years now, we've been an agency full time. And we um, started off with three co-founders and we're now a team of eight. Uh, two of those are part time, six full time. And in terms of revenue, we average um, about 60 to 70,000 a month now. Um, that's grown a lot in the last year or two. For a while, we were you know, 10 to 20,000 a month. Um, and sales for agencies is, is fairly different than sales for products. Um, I think it's easier to get to, you know, get to 10 to 20K in uh, sort of monthly revenue. It's usually not recurring. Um, as an agency than it is as a product, but then it's a lot easier to get from, you know, uh, 60,000 to, you know, 100, 150,000 as, as a product company. I, it's, it's sort of my, my view on it. Um, 
so yeah, been around for five, five, five and a half years, um, about 60,000. We'll do probably close to 700, uh, this year. So we haven't been at 60 K the whole year. Um, and profitable on that. So our expenses right now are hovering around 50,000 a month. So have a decent profit margin. Um, again, not, not the margin of like a product company, but pretty solid margin for an agency. Awesome. Great stuff. So I have a lot of questions kind of off the back of that, but one thing that I, I found interesting right at the beginning there was you were talking about being very open and transparent with your revenue numbers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've seen, yeah, I've seen Barometrics, I've seen Buffer doing that. And on Indie Hackers, more and more people are, are doing that. And I've, I've been pretty open with uh, the, the revenue numbers for the sales and founders course as well. And it's mm-hmm. the, the first time I've really been open with that kind of, um, I guess kind of while it's happening, you know, after the fact, I've always been very happy to talk about it, but, but never, it's never been something that I've kind of pushed. So, um, yeah. this is interesting because I was, I was actually on Indie Hackers, uh, I think yesterday, and there was kind of a big argument there about whether this was an intelligent thing to do or not to be so open. So you've, you know, you've, you've lived it a lot longer than I have. Um, so what do you think? How has your experience been? Have you had people, you know, have you had, have there been downsides to, to being so open, do you think? I was really nervous too, um, which is interesting because I, I saw it be such a powerful driver for companies, again, like Buffer and Barometrics. Um, uh, Groove was another one. They aren't quite as open, but, but shared sort of their revenue for a while. Um, and so I saw it be this driver, but there's still a lot of fear when it's, when it's you. There's a lot of imposter syndrome that comes into play there. And with an agency in particular, I was, you know, some of our clients are a little bit more private than we are. Um, they you know, don't want to share as much. You know, sometimes we have to get approval before we can even talk about a project that we've worked on. Um, we sign, you know, non-disclosure agreements with most of our clients. Um, uh, just saying that, like, we have to get their approval on things before we talk about them. Um, so I was really, really nervous. Um, and it was about a year ago that we opened up our numbers officially a little more than that now. Um, but it was transparency has been a core value for us since the beginning. Um, it's something that we just, again, all the companies that I looked up to were transparent. And so I was just like, it was always something that I had kind of wanted to do. Um, the other thing about running an agency that is a little different is like, um, I wish we were a product company sometimes because like then we could use bare metrics um, and just like toggle a dashboard and make it open um, or use, you know, whatever sort of tracking software, analytics software we wanted and just toggle it open. An agency, you know, there's nothing quite like that for service-based businesses. And so like um, (laughs) we keep track of everything in a spreadsheet. Um, and didn't want to make our entire spreadsheet open because that would have been um, a little complicated and there's some like private stuff in there, again, relating to clients. Um, so but a year, year and a half ago or so, we decided, screw it, let's do this. Um, uh, maybe it was even more than that. It might have been close to two years now. But, um, but so we decided we were just going to do it through our blog. And so... Um, Initially, we started every month, we would post uh, what we call an open agency report, and we would report on our numbers, and just, I would include a little bit of context around them. And really nervous about that first one, but it was super, super well-received. 
I wouldn't say it went viral, but it was like one of the best things that we had ever published. You know, people really responded to it. And what was really, really encouraging for us is we had a couple of clients actually share it and say, this is why we love working with these guys. Um, and so that was a really powerful moment for me. Um, and now in the past year or so, I would say, you know, initially publishing it, like my main, the main sort of reasons I wanted to be open were, um, I, I thought it might give us a little bit of a marketing boost, might help us stand out seem a little different from other agencies. Um, and I thought it would be cool to like maybe inspire a new wave of entrepreneurs who are maybe thinking about starting a service-based business or, or just, you know, interested in learning about how different businesses work. Um, so those were my two main motivations at that time, but really the greatest benefit has been, um, when you're that open and that transparent, it becomes a forcing function to have your shit together. Um, so like our numbers for a while were kind of a mess. Um, we were kind of sloppy about when we recorded things and like bookkeeping wasn't great. And it made writing these open agency reports really freaking complicated. And so um, we hired a, uh, you know, a financial consultant who we still work with on a you know, monthly basis now to just start helping us get everything in order and start looking over things and double checking things for us. Um, and that's been a huge help. And our numbers are in <laughs> much better shape than they've ever been. And there have been a lot of other little things like that too, where it was just like, um, you know, it forces me to go back and look at the last three months. Uh, so I, I switched from monthly to quarterly, um, just makes it a little easier for me. Um, and so now every time I write it, it's like a good sort of retrospective for me to go back and look at the last three months and go, all right, what were our goals at the beginning? How did we do? Um, did we set the right goals? Um, you know, I have been writing the one for Q3 of 2019 right now. Um, past couple of days and, and we like totally whiffed on most of our goals. Um, but it was one of the best revenue quarters we've ever had. And so looking at that and going, huh, okay, what happened there? Um, was a just super valuable, like exercise for me as the founder. Interesting. So you haven't seen, or you're, you're not aware of, um, kind of pushback from, from potential clients. So losing out on, on, on deals, for example, because you're, you're so open with your numbers. Not at all. Um, and I would say, you know, you have to go through a blog and like read a little bit about it to, to really find that stuff. And so I don't know how many potential clients are going through all of our blog posts and like finding, finding that, um, you know, because we don't have some big like dashboard, it's, it's maybe not quite as easy to find. Um, and so maybe, it, you know, I'd like to change that at some point and have more of a dashboard that's connected to our spreadsheet. Sure. I, I bet it's, it's quite an interesting thing just internally as well. I mean, I know a couple of agencies that are a similar size, you know, maybe five, 10, 20 people. And mm -hmm. I bet if you ask most of the people, especially the technical people um, working on those teams, I bet they don't know the, you know, the, the exact revenue numbers or even close to the exact revenue numbers on a month to month basis. I bet they'll have a general idea of whether things are doing better or worse, but yeah, I bet they, they, they might not even be within, you know, kind of 30 to 50% of, of the real number. Absolutely. And I have some friends who work at agencies and uh, those agencies are not transparent at all. And I think it kind of negatively impacts the culture. They, you know, they're always kind of wondering, like, are, are we doing well? Like, I'm feeling really overworked right now. And 
I haven't gotten a raise in a little while. What's going on? Like that kind of stuff. And, and so again, you know, one of the driving forces for this is we want to have a really strong culture as a team. Um, and that is, I think is happening. We're building that and that's helped us hire and helped us do all sorts of things. Um, and, uh, and being transparent really builds helps with building that culture i believe because again it's a forcing function if you're going to be transparent about your revenue numbers um then you've got to be you've got to talk to your employees about why their salary is what it is and um and help them understand what you're trying to do with, with the business and all sorts of stuff and um yeah i'm i'm a huge believer in transparency in business i think it's um i think the goods vastly outweigh the the cons as long as you're authentic about it and um, and take the time to do it right. Yeah, and I, I like that because it's it's interesting. I, I saw on your site when I was doing a bit of research earlier, you're transparent around the pricing as well for a lot of things, which is, is very unusual for an agency to kind of have price tags on your website. Yeah, um, and that was a decision we made a long time ago before we decided to open up our, our um, actual financial numbers. Um, and that just came down to we didn't see any reason not to be. Like we thought it you know, it would just make it easier for people who are considering working with us. Um, and, and now I really, I want to be more transparent about that stuff than less, because um, if anything, we've, we're in a position now where we can turn away some work and I would much rather, you know, not have to spend an hour on the phone with somebody before they realize that they can't afford us. Um, and so um, I, I really want to make those numbers sort of more prominent than they are. Um, the only area where we can't be perfectly transparent is like how much an actual project is going to cost. Um, like we're transparent about the initial consulting fee and the, the range of prices that we normally work within. Um, but each project, again, difference between services and products and, um, you know, we've productized things as much as we can, but, um, there's still so much variance in one project to the next that we can't say like, Hey, your project is going to cost 75 grand. Um, it's it, we say that an average project for us takes between three to six months, three months, you're usually looking at 50 K six months. You're usually looking at hundred K anything beyond that, um, is gonna, you know, fall outside of that range. Um, but that's about as specific as we can get right now. Right. And have you, what's the, what, what kind of effect have you seen from doing that? Because I mean, a lot of people, a lot of agencies don't do that. And I, I presume they do that for a reason. So, you know, how have you, uh, what, what's the feedback been like? Um, I mean, for the most part, it's helped, right? Like it helps. I don't want to work with someone who can't afford us. I did like, that's yeah. not good for me. It's not good for them. Um, and uh, and so like one of the big things we do that's different than other agencies too, is the road mapping session. Um, so, uh, for anyone who's not in like sort of the freelance agency world, um, this is a concept we got from Brennan Dunn. Um, he has a course on road mapping sessions, uh, as part of his double year freelancing brand. Um, and so we were struggling, um, a few years ago, uh, our projects, we were like missing deadlines. Our prices were, you know, we're wildly off. We were doing fixed bid projects at the time, which we don't do anymore. Um, and our pricing was off. And so we were losing money. Um, and I was also spending a lot of time building quotes for people that weren't going anywhere. So, you know, a quote for us can take 30 hours of work, um, which mm. is an entire worth of work to actually build. Um, if we're going to do it right, what we were doing at the time was we were 
we weren't charging for that. And so we were rushing through quotes. Um, we weren't, uh, we weren't being very accurate with our quoting and we were still wasting 15, 20 hours, um, you know, creating a quote and then half the time or more, the, you know, the person didn't have the budget. They weren't all that serious. They were just sort of kicking the tires and sales weren't going anywhere. So two and a half years ago, maybe we took Brennan's course and decided, all right, we've got to try this road mapping thing. Um, and uh, we still call them road mapping sessions because a product roadmap is totally a thing. Um, if you're running like an SEO agency, you would probably call it something different. Um, you might, you know, but the idea is basically just to offer a productized small version of your service, um, a sort of fixed bid consulting session um, that gives you a chance to bet the client, um, do the initial like quoting work, really get to know their business, and also um, build a little bit of a relationship. Um, and someone at this time was also sort of introducing me to the sales concept of like a pricing ladder. Um, you know, we were trying to get better at sales. And again, our projects are generally 50 to 100K. That's a pretty high price point. Um, so I was also trying to look for things we could offer that were at a lower price point so we could start to build trust with people. Um, and so this road mapping session idea seemed to fit perfectly. And um, we started off charging way less than we do now for it. I think we started at like a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars for this road mapping session. Uh, we've since increased it to thirty five hundred dollars, um, and we'll probably increase it again at some point. Um, but the idea is, we we meet with a client, we get to know them, and we build out a roadmap for the next three to six months worth of work. Um, and then we do research into third party tools that we can use. Um, we do research into technology, we do some architecture, we do all sorts of stuff um, to try to make sure that our quote is going to be as accurate as possible um, and that, to make sure we have a really good plan to work off of for the next few months. And so we introduced that and that was when we, I think, really got transparent about our pricing. Um, before we were like transparent about, say, an hourly price, um, but we found that that didn't really work because no one really knew what that meant. Um, different people work at different hours and different or work can do sort of different amounts of work in um, the same number of hours. Um, and to a non-technical founder in particular, like hours, it's like, I have no idea what this is going to take. So that's when we started to get transparent more about price ranges and about the cost of this consulting service. Um, and, you know, I still talk to some people who, you know, some people sort of get through our sales funnel and I still end up talking to them and they're not going to be a good fit. That's totally fine. But um, the result has been, it's been a just phenomenal um, qualifier. If I talk to somebody and $3,500 or even at the time 1500 is, you know, way too much for them, if they're not going to consider spending that, um, that probably means they aren't ever really going to be a good fit for us um, for our larger projects. They're not going to have the budget or um, they're going to have to scrape the money together and it's going to put a lot of stress on them and their business. Um, and more than that, it's because it's a little bit of a different process that's unusual for, um, for agencies to run. It just is a great test of how much people respect us. So when I'm talking to somebody, if they're like, that doesn't make any sense, I don't want to spend that money. I'm like, cool, go to someone else. Um, if they, all of our clients who have been like just great phenomenal clients haven't blinked at it. They, you know, hear me explain that we do this road mapping session thing and it costs $3,500 and half the time they go, 
yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'd much rather spend $3,500 and make sure I want to work with you than spend 50,000 and realize it's a bust. Um, so that was like, <laughs> that's a long winded. I think you originally asked just like what the feedback has been on our price transparency. And so that's sort of a long winded way of saying that it, you know, has been a process and we've tweaked it and, and learned from it. Um, and the feedback has changed over time, but in general, I see our price transparency as being a huge part of how our sales process works now and being really important for helping us find the right kinds of people. Right. And um, I mean, that's kind of how you're doing sales today. And I think we'll talk about that a bit later, but I'd love to kind of contrast that right now with how that, how you'd made your very first sale. Oof. Okay. Um, <laughs> so our very first sales were, you know, there was no process. There was no, I didn't even think a sales process was a thing. I don't even know if I really thought of it as a sale. Can you um, remember sale number one? Yeah. So sale number one, um, we were working on our product at the time and the, um, the software company that I was working at before, they actually went through a similar transition right before I left where they became an agency as well. And they were focused pretty much only on like mobile apps. Um, and so they, they had some overflow work basically. They were booked up and had some, needed some design help on this project. Um, and one of our co-founders is a super talented designer. Um, and so they reached out to us and we're just like, Hey, um, would you guys have some time to like take this on? We could really use the help. Um, and so a, you know, warm leads referrals, always a million times easier to close. Um, but in that case in particular, I like, we had a great relationship with them and, um, and like, I wasn't even thinking of it as a sale. I was just like thinking of it as, Oh, Hey, this is an opportunity for us to earn a little money while we're trying to build our product. Um, and, and so it was like, we just threw out some number and they came back to us with like a lower number and we were like, cool, we'll do it. <laughs> um, I think we did, uh, a good bit of design work for like $5,000, which um, was not nothing at the time. It was like, great. We were thrilled to have 5,000 extra dollars in the bank, but it definitely was way less than we should have charged. And, um, and again, I wasn't even really thinking of it as like a sales process. So that was technical sales, sale number one. Um, the first sale that really felt like a sale where I was being intentional about going out and trying to get work. Um, actually came from a cold email, uh, which we don't do anymore. It doesn't really work for us these days. Um, but I was subscribed to the service called, uh, let's workshop. Um, and it's changed a little bit over the years, but at the time it's basically just an, a mailing list for project leads. Um, and he had some great like cold email sort of advice. Um, and so I followed his, his templates and, um, I remember there was, it was a cannabis company, um, who was looking for someone to design a landing page. And I don't remember if we priced it or if they did, um, but they needed someone to like design a landing page for them. And I just cold emailed them. And, um, I think we'd maybe thrown together a portfolio of like, you know, the product we were working on plus like a couple of other projects of these like small referral projects we'd done at the time. Um, and so I remember specifically the things that like I tried to do in that cold email 
it was like two sentences long. My goal was not to get the sale. My goal was just to get him to sort of respond to my email and say, yes, he wanted to see our portfolio um, and really just start to build a little bit of a relationship. Um, and so that happened. Um, we charged $750 to design this landing page for them um, and designed it, built it on like um, one of the just sort of free landing page tools. I've, can't remember which one it, it was anymore. Um, but yeah, that, that went well. We did a good job. The whole landing page, like it was, it, a conversion was just getting an email address from someone, but it converted at like 10% or something like that. Um, which now that I know more about conversions probably had as much to do with how they were marketing it as it <laughs> did with our design. Um, but they liked working with us. And so then they started thinking about, um, building the actual products that this landing page was for. And so approached us about building that product. And um, that's when, you know, the very early days of our sales process started to come together where we were like, okay, we've got to create a proposal now. Um, the client like flew to us to do what would eventually become that road mapping process totally for free, of course. But, um, but, you know, we whiteboarded out a bunch of stuff and talked about what the product would do and everything. Um, and then, yeah, ended up closing what ended up being about a $30,000 project. Um, again, drastically <laughs> under, uh, under charge for it. I think we were charging like 60 bucks an hour at the time, but, um, but yeah, that was, that was our first like big project as an agency. Um, and it came initially from a cold email. Nice. And, and that was as an agency. So you'd already kind of established yourselves with the, with the brand by that point. Sort of. Um, so we were still um, still working on the product at the time. We had, I think, spun up a website that, so Crit was the name of the company. Um, and at the time, Crit was a product company. So we spun up a little website uh, built by Crit.com and put together a little portfolio of some of the work we'd done. So we were still a product company, but we were, we'd sort of created this like secondary agency brand, if you will. Um, it wasn't quite that intentional. It was more just like, Hey, let's put together a portfolio and try to get to some work so we can pay the bills. Um, it was not, you know, Hey, we're going to be an agency quite yet. It was really after that project was successful. Um, and <laughs> after our launch was relatively unsuccessful, um, that we were like, okay, this is working. This like little agency sort of brand is working. Um, our product business is not, let's go all in on the agency. Nice. So the first couple, just kind of just to recap, the first couple of um, projects you got were kind of warm referrals from maybe from your circle and from, from people they knew. Then you moved into mm -hmm. kind of a cold email approach. Uh, did that last for long? How kind of how did you end up where you are now from, from there? Yeah. Um, so we have tried just about everything you can try. Um, I would say one mistake we probably made is we didn't, always stick with things for super long. So we like jumped around from strategy to strategy. Um, so we tried cold email for a little while. Um, I think I have unsubscribed and resubscribed to that workshop service over the years, like two or three times um, uh, because it was like working and then not working. And um, I was willing to try it again. Um, we've tried, so we've closed a couple of projects um, via cold email over the years. Um, 
you know, uh, one other one was not through that service, but for a while we did the whole thing that a lot of agencies do where we would, um, look through job boards for projects that might be a good fit and, um, look for people who are looking to hire someone and reach out and be like, Hey, have you considered working with an agency instead? Um, I probably wouldn't do that these days just cause I've been hiring people and know how annoying it is when you really want to hire a full-time person and you get spammed with a million agencies. Um, although again, you know, it's a lot less annoying if people do a good job with their cold email, which most people do a really terrible job. Um, so yeah, we've tried a little bit of cold email we tried Facebook ads for a little while. Um, those didn't really go anywhere. Um, we've tried, um, you know, we've tried speaking a little bit, speaking at some like local meetups and stuff like that. Um, but really for a while, like referrals were still what was driving our business. So, um, uh, a lot of our early work came in from that agency that I had worked with before. Um, uh, one of our biggest early projects came in, um, a friend's, an investor in a friend's company wanted to start a company of his own, um, reached out to the friend asking for, you know, asking him if he knew anyone who, who could build the tech and that friend referred him to us, um, because he really liked, liked us and liked the work that we were doing, um, and the way we just approached the business. Um, and so, yeah, for a while we, we survived off of, off of just purely word of mouth. Um, and we just, um, really stumbled through the whole marketing and sales process. And then a couple of years ago, we, you know, I was still for a long time too, as many technical founders do, I wasn't doing sales or marketing full time. I was really doing the, a lot of the technical work I was, um, building projects. Uh, I started off as a front end developer, but I would do a little bit of everything. Um, and so it got to a point, um, around the time that we decided to do the road to take that road mapping course. Um, the sort of precursor to that was we had, we had a couple months where the company was in really dire straits. So it got to a point where I had a death clock on a whiteboard in our office and I was counting down the days until we ran out of money. And we got down to, I think, 27 days, maybe, maybe even less. Um, and then we, we closed some business from an existing client, wanted some additional work um, that bought us enough time to, to look at things. And we were like, okay, something's got to change. And so that's when we tried out the road mapping process. Um, and that's also when we, um, when I said, all right, I, I can't be writing code anymore. Um, someone's got to be focused on this full time. Um, and we were still struggling with the marketing and it's still something that we're trying to get better at, but we decided what felt right to us, um, was content marketing. And so, you know, cold email, I was never very good at it. I was not super consistent with my follow-up. Um, I would do it for a little while and then I wouldn't see results right away. And so I'd abandon it. Um, but content marketing was always something that just felt natural to me. It was like, okay, I'm giving something to the world and asking for something in return. It felt like sort of a fair trade. Um, and I was a decent writer and, um, loved reading content from other companies. And so that always felt right. And so around that time, we decided to try to get more serious about content marketing. Um, 
for a while that looked like me doing some content marketing. Um, and we also, I think around that time, hired a friend of mine to help start writing a newsletter for us. Um, and then slowly she has taken over most of our content marketing. I still do a little bit. Um, I write the open agency reports and write a few newsletters here and there and do some personal writing of my own. Um, but I would say in the last like year and a half, two years, we've really invested in that. Um, most of our work still comes in from referrals, um, from my personal network. And I've done some things to actively try to grow that personal network. Um, I joined a networking group for a little while that didn't really turn up a whole lot, but I've just, I've actively tried to build relationships with interesting people. Some of those people on Twitter, some of those people in real life and a large portion of our work still comes in via those referrals. Just me building relationships with people. And then someday they hear someone who says I need an app and they refer them to us. Um, but a year and a half, two years ago, we got really serious about content marketing and that's really where we're investing a lot of like money and time right now and just sort of energy. And that's, that's what we want our strategy to be long-term. So um, I want to eventually be able to replace um, sort of my personal network and those word of mouth referrals as much as possible with content marketing. Um, and our content looks different from a lot of like SaaS companies content in that, you know, um, at least from a strategy perspective in that, our content is not most often driving direct conversions. It's still driving referrals. So it's, it still looks similar to the way we get business from that personal network of mine. Um, but it's just like a, a larger digital network, right? Um, so we sort of look at content marketing, not necessarily as having to drive direct conversions, um, but building as a tool for building relationships and growing that network um, in a way that doesn't have to be attached to me, but can be attached to like the company. Um, and then that network refers business to us over time. Um, and so that can be a bit stressful at times because it's hard to control. I can't, there's not some formula I can really follow where I say, all right, if I send a hundred cold emails, um, you know, 10% of those will result in a sales call. And, um, one of those will result will most likely result in, in, um, new business. Um, but, uh, it just, it fits us. And I think one of the things you and I talked about when we were first getting to know each other was it kind of fits our business model too, because we have to get in front of people at just the right time when they're thinking about making this like huge life decision of like, am I going to start a company? Um, and so like cold emailing every single small business owner would just be kind of a, a waste for us because, the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of those people are never going to be our customers. Um, and there are ways you can maybe get a sense for, oh, this person might consider doing this. And I've, you know, at some point we might shift our strategy again and we might build a sales team and, and go in that direction. Um, but for right now, our sales process has mainly been built around inbound leads, um, still both from my personal network and then from this network we're growing online. Right. So maybe you can give me a really quick overview of what one of those customer journeys looks like then from maybe the very first time they hear about crit all the way through to uh, paying up for a, a successful project or for a, or com committing to a project maybe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, 
And this is another area where we've improved over time a lot. So I sort of mentioned in the early days, we, you know, um, we would maybe reach out to somebody or they'd come to us and we'd, you know, create a quote for free and then try to sell them on that, that whole project. And it was a lot of just sort of, you know, quoting things and taking sort of a shot in the dark at stuff and, and then hoping the person closed and, a little bit of email follow-up, but it was very loose. There wasn't really a process. Um, and so now, over the last couple of years, I, I have really started to build an inbound process. Um, so what most often happens is, you know, someone finds out about us via referral. So, um, and they reach out to us in one of two ways. Either they're referred to me directly via email. Um, and so that's usually decent percentage of the time that's what happens when um, when they're a referral from my personal network. Um, and so if they do that, I just say, great, let's set up a call and get to know each other. Um, otherwise, they land on our website. Um, so a friend tells them about us, sends them our website, or they look us up, they find our website, and they read about it. And if they're interested, um, then they book a call through our website. Um, and so when someone books a call, that first call is a 30 minute, just sort of discovery call, um, totally free. And I spend those 30 minutes really just vetting them, um, and trying to get to know them. Um, and, uh, so I just, I ask questions. I really focus on trying to ask questions more than trying to sell, sell them on anything or pitch them on anything. So I'm asking them questions like, um, you know, tell me about your background, you know, trying to get a sense have they ever started a business before? Is this something totally new to them? Um, you know, tell me about your idea. Uh, another red flag for us is some people don't want to talk about their ideas. They want us to sign an NDA before we know anything about what they're doing. Um, and sometimes I can talk them through that and explain, Hey, that, that doesn't really make sense. Um, we don't do that. Um, but if I can't really get them to come around and talk to me, then that's usually a sign that they're not going to be a good fit. Um, then, you know, talk to me about your idea. Talk to me about the validation that you have so far. Have you, do you have any paying customers? Um, have you tested this? Uh, ideally for us is they've tested it in a no code sort of way. So sometimes that looks like a productized service. Um, sometimes it's using some of these no code tools like bubble. Um, my favorite words to hear are, well, I have the spreadsheet that I've shown some customers. Um, spreadsheets are, are like magic to me. I still think an Excel spreadsheet is the best no-code tool out there, um, far better than Bubble or any of the others. I think spreadsheets, and now we're seeing it with Airtable a little bit, are incredibly powerful tools for building business software. Um, and we love working with them, and it's super easy to take one and convert it into a, a real product. Um, so I love hearing that someone's got a spreadsheet. love hearing that someone's already talked to customers. Um, maybe they have some customers from their existing business and they think those customers will be um, early adopters of this new business um, or maybe they're going to meet their own first customer. All those things are positive signs to me. And so then if I feel like, you know, they're going to be a good fit, the, the call shifts a little bit. And my focus is to tell them about the road mapping session. Um, again, that's a way of vetting them. If they balk at that, cool, they're not a fit for us. Um, but tell them about that, set that expectation early of, hey, before you work with us, it's going to cost $3,500. Um, if we move forward, then you're looking at fifty to 100000 for 
the initial build. If we get through all that and they're good, um, my goal is just to sell them on another call. So I don't try to sell them on the road mapping session right there. I just say, hey, this has been great. I think you could be a really good fit. Let's schedule a second call and let me demo a couple products and talk to you a little bit more about our sales process or about our design process and how we think about building products. Um, and so then if we, um, if they agree, which, you know, usually if we've gotten to that point, they're happy to, to do a demo. Um, then I immediately try to get something on their calendar before we get off the phone. Um, and I usually try to set it to be about a week away. Um, give them some time to read about us and learn a little bit more. Um, and then on that, that second call, I'm now, this is really a sales call. So I'm talking a lot more than I was before. I'll still try to ask some questions to um, serve as guidance. You know, what are you interested in learning about? Did you have any questions since last time? Um, what do you want to know about the way we approach products? Um, but this is really more of, of a pitch. And so I'm, I walk them through usually one to two products and I talk to them a little bit about our design philosophy. Um, so one of my favorite things to ask them is, um, are you building for Microsoft Paint or Adobe Photoshop? Um, and to me, that means, are you building for novices or experts? Um, and we would approach designing a software product for novices very different from designing a software product for experts. And this is just a little thing that I've found that works really well. It's sort of showing them how we think about design um, and showing them our expertise. And so, um, I walk them through that sort of exercise and then I do try to sell them on a road mapping session and say, Hey, um, you know, I think you'd be a really good fit. The next step, if you're interested is, is to book a road mapping session. Here's when we have availability. Are you interested in booking today? Um, if they're not, then I say, cool, no problem. Um, let me send you some more information. I'll do that right after this call. Um, and uh, would you like to schedule another call to, to talk more in, in a week or so? Give them some time to think. Um, and this is where I, I'm still trying to improve our process a little bit, um, figuring out the right amount of follow-up and how to, how to do that follow-up in the best possible way if they don't book right away. Um, so that's, that's still an area where I need to improve. Um, if they do book a roadmapping session, awesome. We go ahead and get that booked. Um, usually it's a few weeks to a month out because of our availability. Um, and, uh, so then once they've booked a road mapping session, I send them over some discovery questions. I send them a calendar invite and I send an invoice right away. Um, and the invoice is due before the start of the road mapping session. So if it's a month out, they've got a month to pay. If it's a week out, they've got a week to pay. Um, and you know, we do try to enforce that because again, that's, that's sort of an indicator to us that they're going to be a good client, that they're going to pay on time and they're going to respect our process. Um, we go through the road mapping session. Um, we typically have, we work mostly with clients all over the country. And so typically they'll fly here to Charleston where our headquarters is and, um, meet with us in person. Um, we'll send them some travel recommendations. Uh, the night before the road mapping session, uh, we try to go out to dinner with the whole team. Um, the whole team here in Charleston, I should be specific. Uh, so three of us are in Charleston, five are remote. Um, so we'll, the three of us in Charleston, will try to take them out to dinner, just get to know them, give them a chance to get to know our client, um, our team, I mean. Then uh, we go through the whole road mapping process. I let them know 
Um, it'll take about two weeks to turn around the roadmap report. Um, and then once I've got the roadmap report built, um, I will reach out to them and try to schedule uh, another call. Um, and that call is really to go over the product, um, the project, and our availability, start dates, the sort of details. Um, so when they're in the roadmapping process, they're technically not a client, but I really am still thinking of them as a prospect. Um, we're performing a service for them, but we're really, that service is, is meant to help sell them on the larger engagement. Um, and that's something I'm trying to figure out right now. I'd love to get to a point where we, you know, maybe treat roadmapping sessions more like sort of standalone products, um, so that we could do them even when we don't necessarily have the availability, availability for a larger project. Um, but that's, that's still something I'm, I'm figuring out and I haven't really mastered yet. Um, once I get them on the call, uh, for the roadmap being session, um, I don't often sell them on the full engagement on that call. Uh, usually people want to take it and, and look at it. Um, but my, my sort of philosophy is to always try to schedule another call, um, while you've got them on the phone. So I, you know, will say, Hey, great. Let's, let's meet again in a week after you've had a chance to look at things and just go over it. I'll ask you any questions. And then, um, uh, if you want to commit, then we'll, we'll start working through the contract details. Um, so then we send them a contract, uh, go back and forth on that. And once we've got that signed, they're officially a client. Um, we don't do deposits. We sort of look at the road mapping session as a deposit. Um, we invoice anyway at the beginning of each month for the work we're going to do in that month. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of our whole process. Um, and then the other sort of sales thing that happens a lot is, you know, trying to sell clients on continuing to work with us after the initial engagement. Uh, and we have a lot of retainer clients who we work with on an ongoing basis. And so just checking in with them, keeping them happy and, and trying to sell them on more work. Um, and by trying to sell them on more work, really, I'm just trying to get a feel for, do they need more work? I'm never going to push something on someone if it's a bad business decision. Um, but if they, uh, I think, could benefit for, from you know, continuing to work with us or working with us more hours than they currently are, then I'll just try to have those conversations with them on a regular basis. Awesome. Now, we're kind of, I know we're, we're, we're kind of coming towards the, the yeah. end of the time that we have. But uh, I don't think I can let you get away because you've been doing this for, you know, for a couple of years and you've learned, obviously, a lot as your sales process has changed. So kind of before I let you go, can you think of any, any things kind of as your sales process has changed, anything that's kind of stood out as uh, kind of mistakes that you made that, that you think others will make and maybe uh, you, can, you can warn them off from doing or any tips and, and tricks that you've picked up over the, the last yeah. couple of years? So a couple of things. Um... So the first one that I had to get over was I had to just stop thinking of sales as like this dark art. Um, I had some bad sort of connotations in my head of what a salesperson was and what a salesperson was supposed to be. And so I always felt a little sleazy trying to do sales and um, I had a hard time like embracing it early on. Um, and one, I think having a product you really believe in. And in our case, our product is our team. And I believe wholeheartedly that our team is one of the best product teams in the Southeast, if not the country. Um, and so having a product you really believe in makes a huge difference. 
Um, once you have a product you really believe in, you start to realize sales is a lot less about pushing stuff on people and more about getting to know people and educating them. Um, and those are two things I love to do. I, I'm a people person, um, even though I'm technical, I love just talking to people and getting to know them. Um, and if someone's a bad fit for us, I will tell them and I don't want to work with them. It's going to end up being worse for us in the long run. We've done it a couple of times. We've worked with people who we really weren't sure about and it's almost always a, a bad decision. Um, so it's really sales is a lot less about pushing stuff on people and more just about getting to know people, building trust, building a relationship and educating them on what you do and why you do it well. Um, and you know, being sort of frank about that with people too is a way to build trust. Um, I joke that I think I'm good at inbound sales in part because I'm just a nerd who doesn't come across as a salesperson. Uh, so I seem harmless. Um, uh, another big thing I've learned is, is to actually have a sales process. So to think through all of the steps, um, and, uh, you know, one thing, you know, I mentioned, you know, in that first call, I'm not trying to sell someone on a road mapping session. I'm not trying to sell someone on a $50,000 engagement, um, both of which I have done before. I'm really just trying to sell someone on that next call. And so when you can break down your sales process, then you can start to see it like that. Um, and selling someone on that next call is a lot easier. And then by that second call, you've now had two chances to talk with them, to build some trust. You've sent them some emails with some more information. Um, and so all of that just goes a long way to, to building that trust and making the final sale easier. Um, and sometimes you feel like, oh, I need to make the sale right off the bat. Um, in my experience, no, especially with high price services, it's so much about building trust. Um, the price ladder thing, I think, really applies to high price products or services as well. Um, you know, it's a lot harder to sell someone a $50,000 project and it is a $3,500 project. It's a lot easier to sell someone a, you know, $100 course than it is a, you know, $5,000 course or a $5,000 service. Um, and so we want to eventually introduce more steps in that ladder um, so that people have additional opportunities to buy something from us, get value. And then again, that goes a long way towards building trust. They've seen, oh, I, I spent $100 with them and I got $1,000 worth of value. If I spend $10,000 with them, imagine the value I'm going to get. Um, so those have been some, some big learning things for me. Um, and then, yeah, just that road mapping session for us was a huge turning point for us because it really helped us to vet people and quickly determine who was going to be a good fit and who wasn't. Um, and so anything like that that you can find, uh, I think, is, is really valuable. Awesome. Well, we'll have to have you on again to get into a lot more detail in, in a lot of this stuff. It feels like we could uh, we could carry on kind of almost open end and, uh, and get into a lot of good stuff there. But uh, for people who are interested either in maybe working with you on, on a project of their own or just finding out more about you. And I, I know you publish a lot of this kind of stuff about your marketing approach and just about early stage uh, sales and marketing and, and product development in general over at, at Crit. So where should people go to, to find out about that stuff and to follow you and, and yeah. see what's happening? Yeah. Um, well, first off, I've really enjoyed this. This has been a fun conversation. I don't get to dive deep into our sales process all that often. So uh, I appreciate it. Um, if you want to learn more about Crit, you can go to crit.com, K-R-I-T.com. Um, if you throw slash blog on the end there, you can find those open agency reports I talked about. Uh, so you can see um, how much money I make 
uh, you can see um, the profits for our last quarter. Uh, by the time this comes out, our Q3 2019 open agency report should be out. Um, so you can read all about that and see our expenses and everything. Um, you can also read a lot of great content uh, that Laura writes on um, building products and uh, design and, and um, you know, if you're a non-technical founder, we try to do a lot of technical education too. Um, so distilling complicated technical concepts down and uh, making them more approachable. So there's a lot of stuff like that there. Um, and then if you want to connect with me personally, Twitter is almost always the best way to do it. I'm at Andrew Askins. So um, check us out. We'd love to, love to have some conversations with people. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot and have a great rest of the day. Yeah, man, me too. Enjoyed it. That's all for this week's episode of the Sales for Founders podcast. If you're struggling to find your first customers or to grow a profitable business, why not head on over to salesforfounders.com where you can get on the early bird waitlist for the Sales for Founders course. You'll learn everything you need to know about sales to go from zero to $10,000 in monthly recurring revenue. Featuring actionable lessons from myself and the best sales and marketing experts out there, including previous guests on this show. And as always, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be awesome if you helped other people just like you to find it by leaving a quick five-star review in your podcast app of choice. Thanks a lot and see you next Wednesday.